0: comes from the book of Jude. If you will open there. And uh, I need just a moment to straighten my papers. I have not forgotten that we're standing. So give me just a second. So the book of Jude, if you will stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. This is God's Word. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, Although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains, under gloomy darkness, until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams... Defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever." following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions Worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So far the reading of God's holy word. We give thanks for it. You may be seated. And as we turn to consider uh, this passage of scripture again, let us pray for God's help. O Lord our God, we are thankful for this little letter and our time in it, even as we near. Uh, the end of, of our considerations in it, for the time being, at least. And we just pray that as we come to this closing exhortation, that we are to keep ourselves in your love, by building ourselves up in our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit and waiting on Christ's mercy. We pray that we treasure up the fact that we are kept for Jesus Christ loved by God the Father that you are the one who holds on to us even as we walk with you and so help us in this last exhortation here in this little letter to see the payoff of all of these weeks that we would indeed know what it means to belong in the love of God. And be kept there. Overcome the deficiencies of the preacher, they are many. And bless the reading and preaching of your holy word to bring forth fruit in our hearts, to love you more, to serve you better. And we pray it all in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. I, If you spent any time on boats, well, you know that that boats on the open water... Don't stay in one place on their own. Uh, they drift as currents push them. Even if currents are mild, still eventually they, they carry a, a floating boat away from where it intended to be. Even slowly, even subtly, there's a push. There's drift. And you have to take measures to, to keep the boat where it should be. You have to drop anchor. And tether the boat where it belongs. And Jude knew that believers are like boats in that we are subject to the currents of false teaching and temptation that, that push us from where we belong. Left to ourselves, we would be blown headlong into error and sin. We are not strong. <laughs> in ourselves and can be carried into our temptations and led away from the truth if we are not firmly grounded in the truth of God's word. And Jude wrote, as we've seen repeatedly, to this church plagued by false teachers who crept into the church and began teaching contrary to the faith that had been delivered to the saints. They, they distorted God's grace and rejected Christ's lordship to to justify their godless desires for sensuality. They abused their role as leaders to serve their wants, their inclinations without properly caring for the people of this church. And knowing that the Christian life is, is difficult enough, even without leaders leading us astray, Jude wrote to this church about the need to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. About our need to persevere in the truth revealed by God rather than that which we invent in our imagination. And so, most of Jude's letter has outlined the danger of these false teachers. And as a good pastor... Jude did not simply describe the danger and then leave people in it. He provided guidance, advice for helpful solutions. And in verses 17 to 23, Jude gave advice about what to do as believers bearing up under the burden of false teaching. And we can see two pieces of application that he offered there we considered one of these last week, but, but as you'll notice, verse 17 and verse 20 both begin, but you, beloved, with that word combination even more prominent, actually, in, in the original. And Jude's first application, as we previous saw, was, but you, beloved, must remember what the apostles have said. You need to be grounded in what you've been taught About the word of God. Despite all that the false teachers were doing. The church must tie themselves. To what God revealed. Through his apostles. And the second application. That we take up tonight. Is that. But you beloved. Centrally. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Jude exhorts us. Uh, to a twofold contrast, who are devoid of the Spirit, then. First, we must be a remembering people, not an inventing people who come up with our own religion, our own ideas about God, but, but a people who remember what God has said, clinging to his revelation. And secondly, we must not be like boats pushed around by the current, but must be anchored in God's love. In that spot of God's tender provision. So, we're thinking tonight about how how we can be anchored boats. Fixed in one single place. The location of God's love. And the first part of verses 20 to 23 tells us about how to keep ourselves in God's love and then the second part tells us about how to treat those who are not well anchored. And so our main point is that we we keep ourselves in God's love by leaning on God's mercies and gifts that come through Christ. We keep ourselves in God's love by leaning on God's mercy and gifts that come through Christ. Our three points tonight are Our requirement, our resources, and our response. And so first, let's think about our requirement. If somebody, if somebody handed you a, a photograph of a collapsed building and then told you, well, it's your job to repair it, <laughs> you likely have two important questions. First, you're wondering, well, what happened? And secondly, how am I supposed to fix it? You need background info and you need some steps to make things better. And we find ourselves in a similar situation as we have worked through Jude's letter. He handed us, really, in this epistle a literary photograph of a collapsed building. The false teachers were an absolute disaster and threatening to make the rest of this congregation crumble. And throughout this letter, he's recounted what happened. These godless teachers have crept into the church and tried to lead people away from the truth. And so that's what happened, the background info. And now, Jude informs his readers of, well, their required tasks. How? To go about the repair. And it's to keep themselves in God's love. Now, in light of what Jude has said throughout about these false teachers, this task seems daunting. Almost like rebuilding a collapsed building without any advice. If they were if these people had been taught poorly by their leaders, they would need help to know what it means, even to keep themselves in God's love. And thankfully, Jude provided that advice, so that his readers, as well as God's people today, have knowledge of how to keep ourselves in God's love. Now, sometimes uh, we overlook important things in the Bible because because we don't notice what the main point is i I don't really like uh, thinking I don't like mentioning Greek stuff. I kind of like just hanging with the the English Bible because you should trust our good translations but but this section was actually the the reason why I started uh, giving us our own translation at the beginning of this series because there's a a few things that are harder to spot here so uh, in Greek main verbs and supporting verbs are really easy to distinguish. They're, they're marked differently, and that's not always obvious in English, the best we we try. Uh, so here in verses 20 and 21, the the leading exhortation is is keep yourselves in the love of God. That's the main phrase right there. And this is our requirement. This is what we're supposed to do. And Surrounding that central exhortation are three other points that tell us how to accomplish that. It might be easy to think that there are kind of four independent exhortations in verses 20 and 21, but that isn't the case. There's one central admonition, keep yourself in God's love. Surrounded by three means, three steps, not ordered steps, but three things to do to accomplish that. And before we consider those three means, I I think we need to to think about something really important. Because here, we need to mark God's kindness. We we saw back in verse 8 how... False teachers pretended to have revelation from God about how to live. Uh, namely, claiming to have inspired dreams. Right, Even if true, which it wasn't, it would be difficult for, for Christians in the, in the ongoing aspects of the Christian life to, to wait on, on these needed coming dreams. And it would be hard on us as as we wonder if we're correct in thinking that one dream came from God and compared to another. When you rely on your dreams for the Christian life, well, there's a lot of mystery and uncertainty. That really is complicated and hard. But, whereas false teachers had, had made these claims about revelatory Dreams and that fade so quickly and cannot be seen by, by everybody. Well, God has put His instructions in writing, He's left them to us. They aren't ethereal, they're right there for you to pick up and, and see on the page. Whereas false teachers had made this church, and so many do this today, false teachers made this church dependent on them. As the source for direction in walking with God, Jude put God's own words on paper. He wrote it down and put it in plain words so that God's people wouldn't be left in the dark and wouldn't be left guessing about how to pursue God, not just now, but into the future. Here's what you need to know. And so God is kind. Merciful and good to his people because he doesn't leave us guessing. There are things that we can know that that we can never know about God. He's beyond our full comprehension, indeed. And there is uncertainty and gray areas in the Christian life. And yet God has given us everything we need to walk with him. The Christian life requires a lot of wisdom about particular decisions, about where to go, how to maneuver through the challenges of life, that sort of thing. But God has given us the principles, the foundations of his will for our lives and made them known known plainly through the prophets and apostles so that we're not left drifting, pushed along by currents. That brings us to our second point. Our resources. Our resources. So as we, as we think about how would we repair a collapsed building, as we, as we consider our need to keep ourselves in the love of God, we should, we should look at the methods that Jude left to guide us. Jude not only told us our requirement but told us our resources for the task. And I think the first thing to note is that a lot of people are going to jump to think, keep yourselves in the love of God means, well, do your best. if Be good enough. And that's how to keep yourselves in God's love. That's how to maintain God's love for you. And I think the first thing that we need to note is, That assumption has nothing to do with anything Jude says right here. Because let's look at them. Right now, each one of these little three resources in verses 20 and 21, um, it's fair to add the word by in front of it. So our first one, how do you keep yourselves in God's love? By building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Now I know the ESV says in, but the idea is that our faith is, is that once-for-all-delivered foundation on which we build. This particular point is not about learning more about our faith, but, about, but that as we, as we go forward in the Christian life, it must be built on the foundation of what has been given through the apostles. And so... We start with the premise of Christ. Christ who has redeemed us, set us free from the, the curse of the law, and also set us free from the power of sin to enable us to serve Him. We start with that foundation. We don't build the life uh, the Christian life next to, but on that foundation. When you uh, when you're making a sandwich. You put down a piece of bread, and then where do you put your fillings? Do you put them next to that piece of bread? No. You put down a piece of bread, you put your fillings on your bread, and then you close it with another slice, right? You don't put down that bread and stack chicken and lettuce or whatever next to your slices. And the same is true in the Christian life. Right, we, we don't build next to Jesus Christ. We build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Not apart from Him, not next to Him, on Jesus. No one else can support us. So why would we look to another source? We lean upon what we confess about Jesus. Building upon that foundation because He is our Redeemer. And so also our merciful Lord. Christ is the anchor of our soul to keep our little boats from drifting away. He keeps us in place. And so our next resource is by praying in the Holy Spirit. We saw in our previous evening series, and we spent a couple of weeks, thinking about how our shorter catechism lists prayer as one of the ordinary means of grace. Prayer is a means of grace partly because praying in the Holy Spirit, Jude tells us, is a way to keep ourselves in God's love. We, we tend to think that prayer is a way to change God. As if we, we need to convince Him to provide for us. And we need to realize that the only one who who genuinely changes in prayer is us. Prayer is a means of grace in that God uses it as a way to accomplish His will, but also as a way to shape us. When we seek God in prayer. He is doing work upon you and me. He molds and shapes us. As God changes us through prayer, He anchors us where we need to be. In Christ. Where we are centered in God's love. And our third resource here to keep ourselves in God's love is by waiting On the mercy of Christ. That result. And specifically mercy. Mercy that results. In everlasting life. When we read a command. Like. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Just again. To drive home the point. Too many hastily assume. That what's entailed here is. Doing lots of good things. If I measure up. That's how I keep myself in God's love. As a lot of modern commentators assert. But Jude didn't say that. And his actual words should actually chastise us for rushing headlong to presume upon our own strength. The means that Jude outlined are building on the foundation of Christ. Praying. And waiting on God's mercy. And and it's explicitly Christ's mercy, not our doing, not our good deeds. Christ's mercy that has the results of everlasting life. None of our resources rely upon our own strength. But rest in the gracious means which God has given to his people that we might pursue after him. And so, all three resources at the end of the day point us back to God's ordinary means of grace. Word, sacrament, and prayer as the reliable way to be anchored in the Christian life. The Word is the deposit of our most holy faith. Jude has already noted the sacraments as a, as a regular feature of the church's life. And prayer In the Holy Spirit. All three aim. At pinning our hearts. To the mast. Of Christ's mercy. That we would wait on him. Trusting in him by faith. Securing. He securing us. For everlasting life. So Jude really just finishes as he began. Right? He started by noting that the saints are. Who? Those Loved by the Father and and kept, sovereignly preserved for Christ. Our part of keeping ourselves in God's love is not doing adequate things to impress God. Or pursuing Him adequately with enough force, with enough vigor. But our part is having the faith that God gives us as He summons us to Jesus. Prayer. Prayer. Seeking after Him and waiting upon the mercy of Jesus. The best way, as as you will know, uh, the best way to keep a boat in the right place isn't running the engine endlessly. Let's just burn up lots of fuel to keep ourselves tooling around right here. That's not the best way to stay in one place. You drop an anchor. And you stay tied to it. You don't make the boat work incessantly, you tie it in place. And so with us, we don't keep ourselves in God's love through endless striving, but by anchoring ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. In contrast to those false teachers who invented their own religion by claiming new religion, <clears throat> new revelations from God, sorry those kept for Christ depend upon what has once for all been delivered to the saints. Our resources to keep ourselves in God's love all flow from God's immense, unending grace and his provision for us in Jesus Christ. That brings us to our final point. Our response. Our response. So, um, although the ways that we we keep ourselves in God's love all involved, depending on what God has done for us, Uh, Jude does mark for us here the proper response toward others concerning the mercy that we've received. And the interesting thing here is that as he tells us to wait upon the mercy of Christ, he also tells us to have mercy on those who have caused our very troubles. And so whereas verses 20 and 21 tell believers, tell, tell us about what believers should be like in contrast to these people flown into error, well, verses 22 and 23 tell us what the response to those people should be. So I think our natural inclination is to get angry with those who lead us astray. And to some degree, that's, that's understandable. And Jude, though, prompts us to be concerned about their relationship with Christ. The ESV uh, translates verses 22 and 23 as a... It, it gives the IE, impression of a sort of random bunch of instructions about a few different groups of people. Uh, And and this is kind of my main qualm with what the ESV does in this this letter, because the grammar uh, easily lends itself to be about one group. So actually, I think the contrast isn't between groups of people, but between the actions that Christians are to take towards the same group of people, namely People who are causing disputes. So I would uh, translate this verse, these verses this way. So further, on the one hand, have mercy on those who cause divisions by disputing. But on the other hand, save them by snatching them from the fire. And still have mercy on them with fear, despite hating even the garment that has been soiled by the flesh. And so th- there's this note here in the ESV about those who doubt, but, but the word there is the same as up in verse 9, where, where the devil was, was in dispute, right? And so, so I think this is about the need to have mercy on those who are at variance with the church, namely the false teachers. The The exhortation to have mercy isn't a blank check for them to do anything, obviously, given the, the nature of, of Jude's letter, but but it is an exhortation that rather than full-on discarding them, there's a need to, well, think about their salvation. They are hanging over the fire, and so Christians need to be ready to, to do what we can, namely present the gospel and, and pastor them, to pull them away from that danger. And in, in contrast to the false teachers who, who participated even in the Lord's Supper irreverent, irreverently, without fear, verse 12, the mercy that Christians show to those who wrong us is specifically with fear. Fear it's mercy that has respect for god it's not mercy that allows the godless to continue in their ungodliness but reverent mercy that exhorts the ungodly out of their sin i think there's a interesting point here to well so we also saw how jude has appealed to in verse 9 to zechariah 3 about the the confrontation between God and the devil, and he alludes to that again here, just as Joshua in that chapter stood in filthy garments, but God clothed him in clean vestments, so too we ought to hate how we can stand before God stained by sin. Rather, we need to long to stand before God righteous, cleansed in the garments that he gives us. I think there's an interesting thing to note here because Judas started this letter by, by m- talking about how these false teachers are marked out beforehand for condemnation. And then he turns around here and says, well, we're to see them come to the gospel. And that gives us humility in the church, doesn't it? Because actually, we never get to peer into the decree of God. We never can can open up somebody's heart and spot regeneration. We work on the basis of credible professions of faith. There will be people in the church who live out of accord with that. That's what it's like to be in the covenant community. And Jude tells us, well... Don't presume that somebody's unregenerate. That's not your business. Even if God has marked them out beforehand for condemnation. You be about the business of what the covenant community is supposed to do. Preach the gospel. Exhort them to faithfulness. And give Christ to them. And so Jude made it clear that the, the way to do that, the way to, the way to keep ourselves in the love of God, the way to put it before others is to lean upon the mercy of Christ. Only Christ's mercy results in everlasting life. As sinners, Christ is the one who has taken our filthy garments from us. He was clothed with our sin and died on the cross to bear our curse. But he rose from the grave because he lived the perfectly righteous life. And as believers, Christ gives that robe of perfect purity to us. So that we stand before God spotless. Without blame. As Jude will close this letter. And so Christians... Are people who know what it means to need mercy. And so we wait with expectation upon Christ's mercy in our times of need. He has won the right for the basis of mercy for us, and therefore we can depend on Him to give it to us. Well, because we know what it's like to need mercy and know what it's like to receive it we're also remade to be able to extend it to others. The church can be the hardest place to put up with those who cause divisions and dispute. And we can often see that very serious matters are at stake in our disagreements. At other times, well, we have to admit that we are just plain set on our preferences. Regardless of how extreme Our disputes may be, those who wait upon Christ's mercy are called to give mercy to those at variance with us. There's all sorts of things we disagree about, right? You know, Bible translations, music, something genuinely theological. In all cases, we are to have mercy in reverence for God, looking to win those in the church, to the truth. And none of that is disconnected from our place in Christ. We don't have mercy in order to pry mercy from Christ. We have mercy on others because Christ has so richly poured his mercy into us that we we run over. We can overflow with more than enough mercy to give to someone else waiting to see Christ in mercy and, and praying, well, that everybody will be there with us, tied to the right spot, anchored to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we easily feel tossed about in the world, in the Christian life. And we ask that this is a reminder of what it means uh, to be stilled, to be kept, and how we keep ourselves, that it means to lean upon the mercy of Jesus, waiting for him, looking to him, seeking after him, because he is the one who is able, even when we are not. And when we see how kind he is to us, we ask that it helps us to know how to respond to others and bring others to know him. We ask it in his name for his sake. Amen.